Good morning. Let's give it up for Abby and Allie doing the uh, monitor set today. <laughs> John, thank you. Hey, wasn't that music amazing? That was unbelievable. Thank you guys for doing that today. They can just do it all. They can just do it all. We, uh, we're in a series on the letter to James, this former skeptic of this Jesus, his brother, who became a leader of the Church of the Resurrection in Jerusalem. Eventually, he gave his life for the claim. My brother rose from the dead, and he would eventually write a letter that we've been looking at since January, and uh, we have a few more weeks in this. But before we go into today's subject matter, uh, I've got a, a, this is just so cool, and I hope you hear the, the yay God in this. Um, for those of you who are new, we're in the process of taking this room and then this building that is mainly used one day a week, and we're going to turn it into a facility that is used five, six days a week, predominantly for students, to create a place for students to get the support they need and eventually find Christ. And so we're in this middle of this campaign, Players Box, in which our church is being extremely generous it's amazing how generous our church has been as we are in about halfway into this campaign. And so we're, we're getting ready to get the finalized approval of the bridge loan that allows us to start construction. And then, of course, that'll be a short-term loan. And uh, God willing, based on our generosity, we'll pay it back really by the time the building's done. And uh, so our team, our financial team, led by Jared Christman, recently met with our financial institution to review our player's box and our church project plan. Not only did the executives and the board at this institution give support of our project, the unanimous opinion of the board of directors of this institution was that Southbrook Church is best in class. Isn't that cool? And, um, you know, those of you who are in the, the money loaning business know that that is a rare title given to any company, but never to churches. Churches are notorious for being bad business partners, uh, especially when you think of the fact that no bank wants on the front page of the Dayton Daily News, bank forecloses on God's church, you know. Uh, so this very rarely happens, and I... I I hope you hear the spirit in that. The, you know, our church uh, was, you know, when we started here in 92, we had 72 people. And uh, for me, for the first 20 years of being here, it felt like it could fall apart at any second. It was just it, hail, uh, hay and bale, hay and, bale, you know, wire and string was holding this together. And to get that designation, friends, is a testament to your generosity and the leadership of our financial people. Um, and so especially on behalf of Jared Christman and Sean Case, would you guys give a hearty thank you for, to them? Because I know they're hearing this. Jared's working today, I think. Um, it's, it's really, really a big deal. And we realize that in an era when trust is in institutions is at an all-time low, it is an absolutely valuable entity that we, we shake in a sacred way, protect that trust. 
And um, that's why it was important we tell you that, to be, to be candid. And uh, a lot of what Southbrook is doing is what we just saw there in that video is saying, okay, how can we then turn what we've been given and steward that in a way that makes a huge impact upon the Dayton area? Today, we're in the section where James brings the lumber when it comes to stuff, when it comes to our material wealth. And as I was preparing this this week, uh, one of the things I've appreciated about this series is the fact that, uh, you know, so many of you have told me you've really appreciated the words of James in this series, and I've gotten a number of people who've told me, thank you for that message, I really needed to hear that today. Thank you for that message, I really needed to hear that. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it hit me this week that I have spoken on material wealth and money uh, probably a uh, hundred times. Uh, and I've never once had someone go, thank you for that message on money. I really needed to hear that today. It's never happened. So if you see me this week, if you see me at Kroger, I want you to see when you say, hey, Charlie, thank you for that message on money. I really needed to hear that last Sunday. Fake it, okay? Just lie through your teeth, even if you didn't need it. Because this one gets so personal. Now, it's interesting in light of the fact of, of the why of this. So remember, remember, everything, okay? Just always remember this. Everything we hear is about drugs. Everything you hear is about drugs. When you hear a message on money and there's something in you that's going, oh, I don't want to hear that, that's a drug, that's a drug issue. Your, your brain is addicted to the dopamine release you get when you buy something. When you get a, a bonus, there's, there's, it's drugs. It gets released into your brain. And so just know this today. There's a possibility you're a dopamine addict. You're just living on dopamine. But the transition to being a Christ follower is that you're fueled by oxytocin, which is the drug that gets released in your body when you do altruistic, generous things. When you connect with other people in a selfless way, there is a drug you can get addicted to, and it's oxytocin. And a lot of what is wrong with America is we are cortisol and dopamine addicted. We are living on cortisol and dopamine, when God, to put it in a physical sense, he wants to transition us to being fueled by oxytocin. And so today, if you resist this, it's just, you're just, you're an addict. Okay, that's okay. That's, that's all right. Uh, you're an addict. But every time, uh, it's amazing when we, we come to a section like this in chapter five, and daggone it, last week, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And I love it when a plan comes together because if you were like me, you were very nervous when you saw pictures of lines outside a bank. That's not a picture you want to see, is it? For those of us who were around in 08 and 09, we were old enough to remember that. It brought back memories of this trillions of dollars of value gone in minutes. I mean, just, whoo! And then today we come to this section in light of uh, that collapse. I love what the Babylon Bee posted this week. A great, a great post, Gringotts Bank. Gringotts Bank fails due to unsustainable business model of hoarding customers' gold in a giant cavern protected by a friggin' dragon. Uh, you, you have to know Harry Potter to know that reference, but it is absolutely true that, that 
the, the, the model of sustainability as we're now seeing with Silicon Valley Bank was not sustainable. It was not sustainable. And as a result, um, some depositors, deposits were put in jeopardy, I think now covered by our government. And when we look at something like that ha that happens, we, we, come to this, we come to this confrontation with our dopamine addiction. We really do. That's what's going on in your head is, whoa, things aren't as secure as I want them to be, right? Things are not as secure as I want them to be. And so when we look at this section today from James, we want you to understand that we know what it's like to have that addiction, so to speak. And we also know what it takes to grow out of that. So you get freed up from that addiction. And so I want to start with this. How many of you can finish this statement? This was made by Jesus of Nazareth, James' brother. What, what, how, how can you finish this statement? To whom much is given, much is required. I mean, that's one of those quotes that is used uh, outside of biblical context. It's just so well known in common language. To whom much is given, much is required. And as we, as we venture into this today, it's really important that you know bibliocentrically, this is the, the perspective we all have to have. Again, this today is written to people who have said, I am a Christ follower. So if you're hearing this, and today you say, I'm not a Christ follower, then just, just enjoy the next few minutes and watch the Christians cringe, okay? Just watch, watch when Christians cringe, because this is written to people who said, I've got the bumper sticker to prove it, I'm a Christian, okay? Now, why is that important? The average worth in the world is $10,000 per family. The average worth. The average, average worth in America, and again, billionaires skew this, is $539,000. If you make $71,000 a year, you are in the upper 1% of wealth in the world. Now, that's interesting in light of the fact that, and you know, wait, wait, that doesn't feel right. I know it doesn't feel right. Because according to a Swiss, uh, 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 Swiss survey, M Americans believe that what makes an American rich? $150,000 a year and $1 million in worth. Then you're wealthy. Until then, you're not rich. Which fits with the fact that who's rich, according to an American, it's always someone wealthier than I am. So you're going to hear this today through the lens of, but you're not talking to me. You're not talking to me. Because we can all think of people who, they are much more financially wealthy than we are, and I hope she's listening to this. You know, I hope she's listening to this because she really needs to hear this address to wealth. So let's dig it now, setting that table that we don't live in reality. We really don't. We are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. The numbers on this just continually substantiate what I just said, that we, we are and we don't see it. I want to give you three words today for you to talk about as a family. I really mean this. I mean for you to talk about a family. The reason I say this is I remember feeling the financial pressure of my family as a kid, but my parents never talked about it. And so remember a few weeks ago when I'm crying like a, like a demon in the Seaway department store checkout line at six years of age because mom won't buy me that green Gumby? Remember that? Well, it's because I didn't understand the financial pressure. I saw the greenbacks in her purse that could cover the cost of that Gumby. 
I saw it. It was there. Well, I didn't see the big picture. And then guess what I repeated with my kids? We, did, we didn't talk to our kids about this. We didn't talk to them about it. Well, it's just beyond them. And I would do that totally differently now. I would bring them along for the journey. I would bore them with numbers. If I had to do it over again, just so they wouldn't grow up with this feeling of something's off. Something's really, really off. But we don't know what it is. So here are three words to talk about as a family. One, relax. Relax when it comes to your stuff and stop being so defensive. Hit the chill button when it comes to the wealth thing because as I say those numbers, God isn't mad that you're a rich American. Okay? God is not up there going, what am I going to do with these Americans? What am I going to do with these people who are so wealthy and they don't know it? As a matter of fact, all throughout the scriptures, we see people who had amazing wealth. It's been estimated that Solomon was worth $13 million 3,000 years ago. Not in projected income. $13 million 3,000 years ago. I don't know what that equates to today, but it's more than Warren Buffett, Larry Ellison, Bill Gates combined, I'm sure. I mean, so a lot of people in the Bible were wealthy. The scriptures are not anti-ownership, anti-wealth, anti-commerce. As a matter of fact, the constant refrain you see in scripture is create value, work hard, generate wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Be generous with it, create, use it to create value in others. So, the, the, so one of the things we need to do with this is we Christians need to chill out when it comes to this and you need to go up to your pastor this week when you see him and say, I needed that message on money. I just needed it. I'm, I'm going to listen to that a dozen times. I'm just going to listen to it over and over. It gave me so much joy. Okay. And by the way, God doesn't say give it all away. That actually wouldn't work either. Jesus was financed by people who didn't give it all away, but they had personal assets that they leveraged to support his ministry. If all you did was just give it all away, then you wouldn't be able to function as a person. And so, you know, people ask me, what are, what are you? Are you like a, are you a capitalist? Are you a socialist? I, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Jesusist. I believe that when Jesus is in a system, it'll work a lot better. And when he's not, it doesn't matter what your system is, it's not going to work. Sin is going to mess it up. It's going to mess it up. And I'm a, I'm a capitalist by nature, but I'm, I'm very aware of the sinfulness of capitalism without Jesus. I mean, just, just, it'll, it'll just destroy people if, if the kingdom of God is not within that system. And that's, you know, that's true of socialism. Winston Churchill once said, he said, you know, socialism, capitalism is the unequal distribution of blessings. Socialism is the equal distribution of misery. It's the truth. So when, it doesn't matter what it is. When you don't have, when you have the kingdom of God in it, it's going to screw people. Okay, can I say that? Can I say that? It's going to screw people. Okay, people are going to get messed up and messed out. So the first thing to do is relax, which is ironic because this message is not relaxing, is it? It's the furthest thing from relaxing right now. The second word, though, then comes with that is resist. And that is, if you say, I'm a Christian, I have the bumper sticker to prove it, I have the Bible to prove it, then there is a tension you're never going to solve, but you're going to have to manage it for the rest of your life. And that is the tension of how much. How much? How much is enough? John Paul Getty was once asked, what does it take to make a man rich? What did he say? 
$1 more, just $1 more. And so there's, you're, you're never, probably never going to be without this tension of my income and my outflow. The American way is earn all you can, sit on your, you can all you get and sit on your can. That's the American way. And we don't really think about this. We only think about wealth in terms of the next person above the ladder. We need to resist. And look at what James says in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Whew. Now, one of the things here is, again, I want you to see that if you, if you make $70,000 a year in America, you're in the upper 1% of wealth in the world. So this is probably you he's talking to. It's probably me. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. He's a reference, as he does a lot of times this letter, to the words of Jesus. Don't store up wealth on earth where moths destroy and thieves break in and steal. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. It's interesting that how often mismanaged wealth has physical consequences to it has physical consequences to it. Their corrosion will testify against you, and look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. So mismanage business leadership. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now again, you got to look at the relativity of that. If I have a three-car garage, that's not luxury and self-indulgence. But if you have a four-car garage, it probably is. That's the way we think, right? That's the way we think. We think in terms of we're the baseline, and you have to remove that. You absolutely have to remove that as your measurement. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. So this was some serious mismanagement of wealth that was going on who was not opposing you. So uh, what I want to do is just give a real simple way for you as a family to talk this through. The simplest way to understand this text is this. When the Bible talks about wealth, you cannot earn too much. But you can't keep too much. You can. It's possible to keep too much. And so that's what happens is money's meant to be recycled. Money's meant to be regenerated. Money by, by the kingdom of God is meant to be turned into people is what it's meant to be done. The miracle of taking resources and turning them into people who are helped. And you, while you can't earn too much, you can keep too much. You see, there's a, some warning signs the Bible gives about wealth. And we see these. We just, we just think they don't apply to us. And they apply to Charlie McMahon. They apply to Southbrook, Heather, and Heathcliff. One of the warnings of wealth is that wealth can produce a false sense of security. The whole idea in America is to get independently wealthy. In other words, I don't have to depend on anyone. I have a baseline security. I remember one time reading a quote from Larry Ellison of Oracle, and, and he said, you know what? Because I'm a billionaire, I can get what I want whenever I want it. I can go where I want whenever I want to go there. I highly recommend it. 
And that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the false sense of security. He was worth $26 billion then. He was relatively poor compared to the $108 billion he's worth today. That, but security, right? That's, that's, the, that's, that's the deceit of wealth. And then, and then in one day, trillions of dollars in value can be lost. And we realize again, oh my gosh, some of us, I mean, I remember sitting across the table from business people and, and them coming in going, oh man, we just lost this. We just lost this. We just lost this. And it's gone. Wealth also can desensitize us to the needs of others. And this is one of the, the insulating power of wealth is really dangerous because you can so put your life into an electric garage door opener, you never, ever have to look outside your world. You never, ever, ever have to look at the people in your life that you have the capacity to change their life. Notice the three kinds of crying that are in this section. There's the cry of unpaid wages that are defrauded. There's the cry of the harvesters sent into the midday sun and are underpaid. But the one that gets missed is the cry of those who have insensitively hoarded. Theirs will be cries of regret. When you stand before the one someday who gave it all in generosity, and if you hoarded, you're going to have regret. Jesus talked about gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is what? Uh, I wish I'd have known this. I wish my preacher would have told me about this. I wish I'd have listened to that message that that I needed to hear. I wish. Because wealth can desensitize. The other thing is wealth may lead to self-indulgence. In other words, there is, a, there is a principle of increased appetite diminishing return. The more you have, the more you need. Last summer, we did a series called the Com- on the comfort crisis. And that's the nature of comfort. Is today's, necess- today's comfort is tomorrow's necessity, which becomes tomorrow's necessity, which becomes tomorrow's necessity. And then we are on this increasing scale of we need more, we need more, we need more. And it can make you do weird things. I remember the kids that, that went into grandpa and they said, Gramp, Gramps, can you make a frog sound? And Gramps said, I don't know. Why? Well, because grandma said that when Gramps croaks, we're all going to Disney World. That's what, that's what she said. Harris, yeah, I've told this before. When Austin, our son, was 11, I still remember the look on his face. When he was 11, we had a basketball hoop in our driveway on Linray Circle, and, uh, but it was one of those huffy hoops that was in, you know, I'd put it in the ground, cement block, or, uh, you know, cement into the ground. But in that day in particular, the, the Vogue thing was the Gorilla hoops. And they were like having an NBA basket in your driveway. And we didn't have one of those. And he said, Dad, I'm praying for one. Okay, Oz. I, okay, I hear you. He wanted one. He wanted it. I said, they're too expensive, Oz. And we have a hoop in our driveway. Dad, I'm praying for one. Well, one morning, we, I, we get in the car to go to his game, his basketball game in Beaver Creek, and it's a snowy morning, and we drive real carefully to Beaver Creek to go play his basketball game. When we come back from the basketball game, all the snow on the roads had melted, so I wasn't driving real carefully. We come down the little hill on 
on Gershwin and we pull into our driveway and it's still icy and I hit the brakes, but carelessly I slid and I couldn't have flushed with the middle of my bumper, that basketball hoop more perfectly. Boom, bang, ding. And the hoop just teetered for a second and it's right onto our picket fence, smash the picket fence, smash the hoop. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, I just destroyed Austin's basketball hoop. And I look over and he's... (laughs) God is good. (laughs) My prayers have been answered. Little greedy sinner. But you know it to be true that wealth and the pursuit of more, more, more can make you do some weird things. This is why there have never been words better written on wealth than these words right here from Paul. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the equation that we're all looking for, to grow in being like God and to be content with what we have. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You came in your birthday suit, you're going out in your birthday suit. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the dopamine addiction. I'm telling you right there it is. For some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. I finally get the job I want, but it means I can't go to church anymore. I can't tell you how often I've seen the love of money And people's spiritual priorities get all upside down. They start focusing on more money, on this job, on this income, and on and on and on until finally there's nothing much left of their soul. Wealth can lead to self-indulgence, increased appetite, diminishing return. Wealth tempts people to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. So not only, not only is there this self-indulgence that leads to self-delusion, there is, a, there is a shrinking of the soul that happens with the very idea that Jesus said this. He said, you can't love God and money. Fundamentally, you can't. If your main hit in life is embracing money, that dopamine hit will dominate any oxytocin that's released when you love God. It'll dominate it. And we've seen people... Sherry and I are watching the Netflix show right now, Outer Banks, and it is just a silly, fun show about the outer, you know, high school students in the Outer Banks. Uh, it's just silly, but it's fun. And, uh, and the show centers around the Cameron family that is inordinately wealthy and the father committing murder in order to get $400 million in a gold treasure. And you just see... Beware of greed, Jesus said. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Beware of the deceitfulness of wealth because some people have forfeited their soul. So this this is the danger. And this is why God implemented a system of recycling. That's the third word. Do you know that? God knew that he was gonna bless Israel So he embedded into their life a means by which they could protect themselves against the deceitfulness of more, more, more. And that system was a system of generosity. 
And so many of you know this, that in the Old Testament, it was called the tithe, where you brought a tenth. Actually, there were three major tithes. People say, well, I don't think I can tithe. Well, I got bad news for you. It was 30% back then. It was three of them put together. And, and you say, well, wait a minute. The New Testament, it doesn't teach that anymore. That's exactly right. But the reason God put the tithe into play was so that you could buffer yourself against, with extreme generosity, against the need for more, 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 more. And so people ask me, you know, in, in the New Testament era, we're not under the demand of you must give 10%. 9.9% is not going to cut it. You got to get 10%. But we're not under that anymore. And so what are we supposed to do? I said, well, listen, one of the things is if you, let's say you had a babysitting job and they paid you $5 an hour for that job and you did a great job. You worked really hard. You, you, you didn't just take care of the child. You cleaned the kitchen. You cleaned the house. I mean, you just, you were excellent. And then another child comes along and they say, well, what do you want to be paid now? And you say, well, just pay me whatever you want. Would you expect less than five? You wouldn't expect less than five. And this is an interesting thing about Christ followers and why James' language is so strong. In the Old Testament, God said, the standard of generosity is 10%. And we say in the era of Christ, where we've been given forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, the church, the Bible. And God says, you give according to how you've been blessed. Do you think that the baseline is less than 10%? I doubt it. I doubt if that's what is considered generous. So people ask me this. I say, oh, here's what I'll tell you. Here's, here's my opinion. This is not holy writ, but I'll give you a baseline for your family. If you as a family make $80,000 a year in this country right now and you don't tithe, you have lived or probably are living in some self-indulgence. I think it's safe to say that. It's safe to say that. You say, well, you don't understand my life. That's exactly right. I don't. I don't understand what you're dealing with. I'm just telling you what I tell people, and it is not holy writ. The reason that I say that, though, is because God wants to make sure that you are growing in generosity. People say, I don't like come to church and you talk about generosity. That's like saying, I don't like to work at McDonald's and make hamburgers. The whole thing is about that. This whole movement is about generosity. The very nature of the church is established on generosity. The, the reason it exists is to be generous. So I've never really understood that. But here's why I can say it confidently. Even though I know this, like my approval rating, every time I do this goes down. He's, oh boy, I'm just, I'm angry at him. I, you can't believe it. Here's why I can tell you that turning financial wealth into people through Jesus is smart is because of that song we sang before I got up here. I've seen God work, and he has never let me down yet. He's never let me down yet. And you want to get the adventure of God in your life? Take the one thing that make, can make you in America your own little God, it's the one thing. This is why we're addicted to it. It's the one thing that an American can make you your own little God and intentionally get generous with that. Do the foolish thing of recycling that into the kingdom of God. 
and you'll see God go to work in your life in ways that you want. Oh my gosh, I've called, as you've heard me say, this is the atheism buster in my life is money. It's the way to eliminate any, any, any doubts that God is alive and well in this world and working in our lives. Matter of fact, I sat down a while back and I rewrote James 5 as if he were writing to them and they were recycling their wealth. Let's just say, like this is kind of dangerous to do this, to rewrite scripture, but let's just say this, okay? Now listen, you people have been given much, but have given much back. And this is many of you here today. It's why this church exists. Celebrate in anticipation of the blessing that is coming your way. Your material wealth has been turned into life-giving wealth. Your gold and silver are sparkling in the souls of the people you have helped. And the shine of your faith in action will testify on your behalf and energize your soul forever. You have recycled your wealth in these last days. Look, the generous wages you've paid your employees have formed a choir singing your praises. The choral sound has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on less than you could have because you were others focused, not self-indulgent. You have a thinner earthly portfolio, but your heavenly one is bulging with value. You went above and beyond by helping people you didn't know, people who couldn't give back to you at all. What if, what if that were the commentary on your life? And by the way, it's not what you do with a million if riches should ever be your lot. It's what you're doing right now with the dollar and a quarter you've got. If you took what you have right now and you begin to leverage that for people in the name of Christ and watch what God does, not just in those people's lives, but in your life. I, um, I've been privileged to be at a church like this that has been crazy generous. So part of today is just celebrate. Many of you should be sitting there and the Holy Spirit is going, you go girl, you're doing this, you're doing this, you go God, you're doing this. And so some of you have been around a long time. Remember, we've done two or three what we called meltdowns in, in our history. A meltdown was in First Chronicles 29 when the people of Israel were gonna build the temple. They melted down their gold and silver and that's what they used as the building materials. So a couple of times we've done meltdowns. The last one we did was in 2009. We said, there are so many people who have lost work. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their homes. Let's melt down our assets, both figurative and literal assets. Let's, let's, sell, let's leverage eBay for kingdom purposes. And then let's give that money to people who have lost jobs. And it was just a wonderful time. Those of you around remember that. It was just a wonderful time as we could uh, bless so many people. The first one we did was in 1993, and we were trying to build our first building on Spring Valley Road, what would become the glorified bus maintenance garage that we called a church building. And we said, you know, we were, we were a church of a couple hundred people. We didn't, like, m most of us were young, young families. We didn't have many liquid assets, and we said, let's, let's take what we have in our garages, in our closets, and let's melt that down. And that's what we're going to build the building with. Well, if you're going to preach it, you got to practice it. And the only thing I had of value are two things. I had a set of pin golf clubs. Ain't no way I was selling those for Jesus. Okay? <laughs> There's no way. I mean, I was holding on to those puppies. And the second thing was I had been, since I was five years of age, collecting uh, baseball, football, and basketball cards and I had a collection of about 20,000 cards. And, and some of you know my age. I mean, I was, a, I was a 
an idolizer of the big red machine of the 60s and 70s. It, it was when the reds were really good, not the little engine that couldn't, but the big red machine. And uh, so I had valuable cards, Johnny Bench rookie card, Pete Rose. I mean, just valuable cards. <sighs> okay, here we go. And I found a buyer in Canton who bought these cards, and then I was able to generously give much more than I could have if I hadn't melted that down to our building program. Well, I was doing 37 coffees in 2004. We did 37 gatherings so that we could raise the money to build this building. And we did these at our house. And I'd cast the vision for what this could be, which is Player's Box is finally fulfilling the vision of what this building was meant to be way back in 2004. And we did 37 coffees. I lived a month on Red Bull. I just did Red Bull every day. Because uh, we were just doing all these gatherings of casting the vision. And at that, I told about our first building. And I said, I, we didn't have anything of value and we did our meltdown. So I sold my baseball cards and my football cards and my basketball cards. And I said, I said this, I said, I got to be honest, every time Austin and I go into a, some sports memorabilia store and there is a 64 Jim Brown, Cleveland Browns card and I see it, I go, oh, you fool, what were you thinking? But you know what? I've literally got to see that turned into real people. Real people. And when I said that at one of the gatherings, Bill and Judy Decker were sitting there. And when I said that, Bill got this look on his face, just like he turned white. And he just got this ashen look on his face and he became so uncomfortable. And I don't know if you know how much I can see up here. I can see your faces, okay? I really can. I, I, you think I can't, but I can. And I, and, I, and I immediately had this thought, what did I just say to upset Bill so much? What, what did I do? And uh, the coffee ended. Bill ran out to his car, and he came back in in a few moments. And uh, I said, Bill, you okay? And he and Judy were standing there, and he said, I got to tell you something. He goes, I've been in, I was in Cleveland the last few days. And my dad was going through a bunch of the old stuff. They were big Browns fans. And he said, he gave me something that I just slipped into the visor of my truck. I didn't know what to do with it. Judy said, that's so unlike him. He's always so organized. That just to flip it into his truck and then and not knowing what he's going to do with it, he said that I literally drove here tonight from Cleveland to get to this coffee. And he said, I, I want you to have this. It's an autographed Jim Brown Pops football card from 1963. And my first thought was, I should have lied and said I gave away my 63 Corvette with a leather interior and that's what I should have done. But in my workshop downstairs is where this card sits. And we all have these little things in our life where we look at it and we go, God is faithful. This didn't need to happen. I don't know if it was a coincidence or the work of a God who's sovereign and every once in a while he shows off. Every once in a while, he leaves hints and says, this is not even necessary, but I'm going to tell you that you can't outgive me. You cannot outgive me. And you want to go on an adventure? You want to go on an adventure? Trust me with the thing that can make you your own little God. 
and see what I do. And for all of you that I can see it on your faces, you, you really wanted to get up and leave today. This will be the pivot point of your journey with Christ. Because you can't treasure God and money both. You can't. But what you can do is recycle for the kingdom of God and his purposes. And someday when you get to heaven, you go, man, I didn't do it perfectly, Lord, but here I am. I'm worth less than I could have been. Henny Youngman once said, may the last check bounce. <laughs> may the last check bounce. That because of you, no, I'm not as wealth, but I've stored up treasure in heaven. Amen. And uh, that's what we hope for you. Many of you are doing this. Many of you are living this way. And I hope that today you walk from here with the Holy Spirit just whispering in your ear, you keep going. Because he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. And uh, for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, I dare you. I dare you. Because you may be staring at a 63 Jim Brown card someday that says, God is faithful. Let's pray. And now, Father, may we not be under the exacting judgment of James' words. Every person here has to parse out what self-indulgent means to them. Because it, it really is relative. And yet there are, are objective ways we can measure our generosity, the intentional limitations we put on ourselves so that we can intercept the deterioration of not just our wealth, but our souls and our bodies. I'm looking at hundreds of people who are living this and I pray that, Lord, this week you show them a 63 Jim Brown. I pray that this week we hear stories of people who said, God, uh, here's, here's my $5. That I, it's all I can do right now, but it's yours. It's yours. And uh, that we get to hear the stories of a God who is still at work today. Thank you, Jesus, for giving it all for us. And we are more free and more loved than we will ever know on this side of eternity. But we trust you. In the name of Christ, we pray together as a church. And everybody said, amen. Hopefully you'll come back next week and we'll see you next week. <laughs>